Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Navigation Play podcast. My name is Molly Bishop, and I'm the owner of Navigation Play, a business dedicated to bringing more play to more people. I'm also a mom of three, a music therapist, and a former camp administrator who wants to come alongside you as you work and play with the children in your life. The much-awaited episode is here. Not that I think you all have been sitting around waiting for this to drop, but I think I have mentioned in like three other episodes that I will do a whole episode on Risky Play another time. So here it is. Let's talk about this often misunderstood type of play. I want to make sure we talk about this because it is so important. So today we will talk about what risky play is, the different types of risky play, why it's important, and ultimately we want to break it down into ways this can be a normal part of your everyday play without stressing anyone out too much. Sound like a plan? Awesome. So what qualifies as risky play? It's any type of play that carries with it some sort of inherent risk. But let's clear this up right away. This does not necessarily mean that it's dangerous with a capital D. We take risks every single day. Every time we get into a car, we take a risk. Every time we use a tool, we take a risk. I use a chop saw every once in a while as I'm creating things for play. Now, I know how to use a chop saw. I've had enough experience that I feel fairly comfortable doing so, but there's still risk there. But it's also not dangerous if I'm being careful and doing it with precautions in place. Every day we weigh the risks and benefits of our actions throughout our day, and our children need to do the same. At my preschool day camp this summer, we were singing, there were 10 in the bed and the little one said, and the kids were rolling out of the hammock. This was kind of scary to a lot of them, even though they weren't that far off the ground. But after they did it once, they loved it and would do it over and over. There was absolutely nothing dangerous about what they were doing, but they overcame their fears and gained confidence as they did it. This was a type of risky play for these kids and their comfort level. So I hinted at it a little there, but why is risky play so important? Why do I talk about it so much? It is a very common topic in the play world because of its importance and also because it is often missing from children's play diets these days. But why is that? Were they more likely to let their children take risks in the past? Well, somewhat. We are definitely more protective of our children than parents used to be. And we live in a Sioux happy society that creates playgrounds without a lot of opportunity for risk. But it's also because parents are a lot more involved in their children's play than they used to be. Kids used to take a lot of these risks on their own, without parents even knowing they were doing it. So this is one type of what I like to call cringeworthy play. We have to bite our tongue, cringe a little on the inside, and let it happen. Okay, back to the why. Why do we have to let it happen? When children learn to deal with fear, overcome their discomfort, and do hard things, they build confidence, emotional intelligence, emotional resilience, and independence that will help build strong mental health and help them discover what they are capable of. They build physical skills like balance, body awareness, navigating different types of terrains, and basic strength that will stick with them through life. And let's not forget that body and brain are highly connected. So these same skills will help build academic and mental acuity. 
When taking risks, children are also fulfilling basic curiosity, learning problem solving, learning to weigh risks and benefits just like we do every day, and nurturing their natural desires for play. This is a necessity to childhood. I truly believe that lack of risk and doing hard things independently is contributing to our growing mental health epidemic. It is a fact that our teens are less confident and more likely to be depressed or anxious than in the past. So let's help our kids to help themselves by giving them these opportunities. So how do we integrate risky play into our everyday play comfortably? As I said before, we may still cringe a little. It's not always going to be 100% comfortable. We have to step outside our comfort zone too. It's one of the hardest things to do as parents, but we can do this in a way that feels more natural and more comfortable than just saying, go do whatever the heck you want and I'm going to sit on my hands. So we're going to look at the example of water. Play around elements like water is one type of risky play. And our society actually does a pretty good job of this one. We don't throw our kids into the pool and say, good luck. But we also don't say you should never, ever, ever go in the water because it's dangerous. We teach our kids to respect the water. We let them gain confidence in and around the water. We teach them how to interact with the water safely, also known as swimming. And eventually we can let them explore the water independently. Exploring water with a two-year-old might mean letting them play in the shallow end with our supervision or helping them swim around the deeper end. They can still feel what it's like to be in the water and feel the thrill of being almost weightless in the deeper end. They can experiment with the fear of putting their head under for short times as they gain comfort. Now, I want you to really think about this as we move into talking about other types of risky play. Because the risk involved with playing in water is actually extremely high, much higher than the risk for most of the other categories of risky play we're going to talk about like tools or great heights. And yet we often say never to these things instead of allowing our kids to build confidence like we do with water. Imagine saying that water is just too dangerous and you're not going to let your child experience water until they're 12 years old. Well, in my opinion, water would become more dangerous every year you didn't let your child in. Am I right? They need to gain comfort and skill so that they can play in water safely. Then by the time they're 12, they can be pretty much independent. They know what they're capable of and they can play comfortably with this highly risky element. So let's take a look at the different types of risky play and how we can apply this. The types of risky play are great heights, great speeds, play with tools, play with dangerous elements like water and fire, rough and tumble play, and feeling lost. I've also seen two added to this list occasionally that I really like, play with impact and vicarious risk. So let's take a look at each of these. Heights and speeds are pretty self-explanatory, climbing high and going fast. But I want to stress that how high and how fast is up to the child. We just have to give opportunity. Just like our example with water, we wouldn't tell our child to climb all the way to the top of the highest tree in the park if they had never climbed before. And frankly, they probably wouldn't do it. Climbing up on a two foot high stump with a hand from mom or dad may feel really high and like a big accomplishment to a two year old. And if they take these small risks, 
as a young child, they will be confident and know what they are capable of as they get older. When they're five, they can climb to the lower branches of a tree. And when they're comfortable with that, they will climb higher. Most kids are really good at knowing what they are comfortable with and what they are capable of, as long as they are given opportunity to explore that. They also need permission to push that and grow in that. Now, a couple of notes on climbing. These can also be applied to most of our other categories too, but I want to mention them now before we go any farther. Number one, if you're helping your child too much, you're actually making things riskier for them because they don't know what they're capable of. They think they can climb that great big wall because you helped them last time. So now they're going to go do it again without thinking about the fact that you aren't right there this time. So let your toddler let go of your hand when they feel ready. Let your child struggle to climb that rock wall and let them fail sometimes. It's okay to spot them, which is just to be there without touching them to catch if needed, or give them a little hand when they want it or ask for it, but really let them do it themselves as much as possible, starting at a young age. Number two, be careful of be careful. Look, this is not an evil phrase. It comes from a place of care and concern, but we do need to think twice before saying it. If your child is focused on what they're doing and you aren't aware of anything that they are not, the only reason to say it is to make yourself feel better. So try to bite your tongue. There are some reasons you may want to say something though. If your child seems to be moving too fast, you can say, take your time, no rush. If they seem to be distracted, you can say, watch what you're doing. Or sometimes I remind my kids of things like, you're not wearing your best climbing shoes today or it's a little wet, so it might be slippery. And sometimes, yes, a quick be careful is just fine as a reminder. So don't beat yourself up about it. Just be aware. Number three, please, please, please try never to say something to your child like, don't do that, you're going to get hurt. Ooh, this one hurts me. Because first of all, chances are they're not going to get hurt. And second, all you're accomplishing is questioning their abilities and instilling fear when they should be gaining confidence. Let's go back to that water example for a minute. A child is never going to gain confidence and comfort in the water if every time they step in, you tell them they could drown. We want them to have a healthy respect for water, not a fear that's going to hold them back. The same is true for other types of risky play. Now, if they're climbing on something that is truly unsafe, say a dead tree where the branches don't look like they're going to hold, then we tell them to come down and we explain why that was unsafe. This is part of learning and now they'll know better next time. Okay, back to our types of risky play. Next is play with tools. Just like our example with water, it's a lot harder for a child to learn and gain comfort with tools if we never let them experience them when they're younger. We can slowly teach them how to use these tools and give opportunity with help so that they gain comfort and confidence to do it safely when they're older. For a toddler, this might be letting them pound golf tees into a cardboard box, or even just letting them cut with scissors. Scissors are a tool. A couple years ago, I let my kids smash their gingerbread houses with a mallet. It was a blast and it gave them experience using a tool. 
Let your child use a handsaw to cut wood for a project after you teach them how to use it or even help them hand over hand at first. What they are allowed to do and what they have access to will obviously change over time. You're not going to give a five-year-old access to your tool shed without adult supervision. But my seven-year-old can use a saw or a hammer and nails independently as long as he asks and is in the vicinity of an adult. Now, we've already talked about water, but what about fire? Cooking a marshmallow over a fire is many children's first interactions with this element, and that's a great way to start. Cooking over a fire is an awesome way to interact with it in a positive way. Just like water, the risk is high here. But just like water, that doesn't mean we say never. You have to judge what's right for your child, but first steps might be poking at the fire with a stick and leaving the stick in the fire, or lighting a match to light a candle. Now, rough and tumble play. This is play fighting, wrestling, or high contact types of play. Let's be clear, it's not real fighting. Everyone should be having fun. Now, it's harder to say that rough and tumble play is a skill we need to practice, per se, the same way we do with water to gain comfort, but we kind of do. Taking part in rough and tumble play helps a child gain body awareness, including knowing how their actions affect those around them. There are actually stories of schools who have had to ban tag because kids were pushing each other down instead of lightly touching one another when they tagged them. These kids didn't have that body awareness that makes their interactions safer in the long run. If your child will be playing any types of sports or games that include close contact with other people, and they will even if it's only in gym class, this is a skill they need. So let the kids wrestle and maybe even join in. The last of the original six types of risky play is getting lost. And this is the most interesting category to me. This is things like playing hide and seek or hiding from a bad guy during a game. Some kids will seek out hiding places just because, even if it's not part of a game. The idea is that you're hiding somewhere and no one knows where you are. You're disappearing, so to speak. And for a child, being somewhere where no one knows where you are has its own fear associated with it, its own risk. I bet you never knew that playing hide and seek was a form of risky play. Now the last two additional categories. First is high impact risk. This would be things like jumping from a high place or crashing into things. Sensory needs are on the rise in our kids, everyone, and this one fills a need called proprioceptive input. It is completely necessary and helps our kids reach a sensory homeostasis, so to speak. We have to let our kids get this input. It is natural and healthy for a child to want to jump off of things. Our adult knees may scream when we watch it, but we did it as kids too. Now, if you have a child who likes to push the limits a bit, you may need to watch this one or offer a hand if they're getting a bit too high. But again, most children know what they're capable of and we need to trust them. Lastly is vicarious risk. And this one is super interesting as well. This is watching other kids take risks, maybe even cheering them on. Maybe they'll decide to join in or maybe not, but this is definitely a part of how kids play and how kids experience risky play. So I love seeing it included on the list. So what do you think? Do you feel more comfortable with risky play? What steps are you ready to take to help your children get more of it in their lives? 
If you learned something today, be sure to give the podcast a rating, share it with a friend, and subscribe so you don't miss any new episodes. Thank you so much for choosing to spend some time with me today. Until next time, get outside, have fun with the people you love, and make time for play in your life. Thanks, everyone.